Good morning, church. If you want to go ahead and open to John chapter 15. I can't recall a time that I was more excited to preach a text of scripture. Um, John 15 is my favorite uh, section of the Bible. It's one of those that I've just returned to again and again and I'm always encouraged by it and overwhelmed by it. Um, so you think that that would make me feel maybe adequate or up to the task of preaching it this morning, um, but I kind of feel like a, a dopey tour guide, you know, with a little safari hat, little fanny pack, kind of driving the bus, and I'm actually a little bit afraid that um, my outline or my delivery or whatever I have to say is going to get in the way of what Jesus has to say. Um, so do me a favor, I ignore the dopey tour guide, um, and... And just hear Christ's words. Um, it's, a, it's a beautiful uh, mystery that he presents to us here in, in John 15. Um, and it's a, a, a wonderful invitation. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and read John 15, verse 1 through 17. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father's glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. And if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. And closing in verse 17, he says, These things I command you, so that you will love one another. So as the, as the tour guide, um, the bus is rolling up into the vineyard. And imagine the golden hour, just a beautiful sunset, and we hear Christ. And it's amazing what he goes on to say in these verses. And, and like I said in the beginning, it truly is a mystery. Um, and I just wanted to share as we start, I, I told Matt a couple weeks ago, I think 90% of preaching is getting out of the way. 90% of preaching is just getting out of the way of what God wants to say, of what God wants to do. And that's actually been my experience this week. We traveled to California and visited Grace's aunt who, um, whose health is failing, so we wanted to, to introduce her to Renner. Um, but wrestling a one-year-old on a plane for six hours is not fun, my friends. Um, I didn't know which one to, of us to give the melatonin to, but it was, it was, a, long, it was a long trip. And then we were there for a day, and we came back, and it was another six hours. So it was, it was a long time, and, and through that, it was, it was exhausting. Um, we, we saw family, it was rich, but it was just one of those things that you get back, and your body's just shot. Have you ever done that, gone on a trip? You think you're going to come back? I was like, yeah, I'm going to work on Thursday. <laughs> Why not? Get back, and I'm like, you're sleeping in Thursday morning, just trying to survive. Um, so, and it had, had a random, random fever for a day and couldn't get out of bed. And just, so it's been one of those weeks where, where God has been getting me out of the way um, and showing me truly what the verse says, that you can do nothing apart from me. 
And there's so much jam-packed into this passage of Scripture. Um, I just have four things that I'm going to try to like hang my thoughts on. Um, I hope that's helpful for you, just so you have an idea of where I'm going. Um, they all start with the same letter, so you'd be proud of me. Um, so the first one is roles. And then we're going to talk about the reality that Christ presents here in this passage. And then he says that we are to remain. And then he closes by talking about the relationship um, that we have with him. Um, so let's go ahead and start talking about um, some of those roles. I'm going to move these, even though it's kind of bad, bad publicity to stop your sermon right in the beginning, you know, and, and move the stands. It's better than me tripping on it halfway through, I promise, because that'll happen and someone will get it on camera. Um, so the roles that we mention in, in John 15, he starts out, he says, I am, I'm the vine. And he, he not only says I'm the vine, but he says I'm the true vine. And so he, he he's kind of splits through um, our reality and kind of gives us a glimpse into what's really behind it. And Jesus says that all the vines here on earth, all the vineyards, everything that bears fruit, it was created to actually represent something greater. And our minds don't really work like that, right? We would think, oh, there's a vine first and then, and then Jesus is maybe like kind of like that. It's interesting that Jesus is saying right from the get-go, he says, I am the true vine. Right? So in God's design, in God's creativity, in the garden, in creating the, a beautiful world, created a vine so that you and I could get a glimpse into who Jesus really is and what Jesus is doing in the new creation whenever he's including us into this plan of redemption. Um, so Jesus is the vine. He says, my father is the vine dresser. You'll probably hear me say gardener. And he just says, God is the gardener. God is growing fruit in the lives of his people. God's doing something. He knows how to tend to it. Um, he knows how to time it. He knows how to prune it. And I just wanted to stop real quick and encourage anyone in this room. If you're struggling with, does God really know how to grow me? He does. He really does. And, and there are many times in life where we start to wonder, is he really good and he, is he really wise? He is, right? He's, he's the gardener and he knows exactly how to bear fruit in our lives. And the scary part, I guess to us, is exciting to him, his work in our lives. So the scary part is that we just don't know exactly what he's doing all the time, right? But God is growing fruit in the lives of his people. And we'll see in this passage, if you haven't already, that God is intent on bearing fruit. Um, let's keep reading. He says, my father's the gardener. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear even more. So there's kind of two extremes, right? There's, there's branches that don't bear fruit and, and God actually tosses those out. Perhaps to be used as marshmallow sticks, but then quickly thrown into the fire. Um, so it's interesting that you get, a, you get it from right from the start. Like God is after fruit. And when he looks at the, when he looks at the branch and there's no, no fruit there, no produce, nothing to eat, nothing to enjoy, nothing sweet, he tosses it. It's very sobering. But on the, on the flip side, he says in every branch, right, in this room, anyone who's in Christ, in the vine... If you're a branch bearing fruit, his goal is, he's not content with just, oh yeah, a couple of grapes. It's great, you know, better than last year. I know he, he takes the grapes, says that he prunes the branches so that it can bear even more. So God is intent on bearing fruit in our lives. Um, I wanted to talk about that word prune for a second. Right? For us, it's maybe counterintuitive. Uh, maybe if we have a factory setting in our mind or a workplace or a productive team, I don't know. Your most productive team members, you give them all of the resources that you can, right? You give them what they need to get the job done because you know that other guy over there, like you can give them all the resources, he's just going to waste it, right? So if they're more productive, you're going to actually give them more things to do or more things to work with so that they can get you more product or more of whatever you want. In the same way, but in a, in a slightly different style, that's exactly what God does with us. He says the branches that are fruitful, like they're luscious, they are ready, they are loving other people, and they are praying boldly in the name of Jesus, says that the gardener actually comes and he prunes those branches. And, and in that pruning process, let me go ahead and, and, and flip back here. You see on the left, that shouldn't have been that hard, but the left um, 
is that vine, is the, the thicker part, the, the one that brings the source of life. It's the sap. It's, it's where um, it all comes from, right? No surprise that that's representative of Jesus. And then, and then you see those branches there that go, are going out in all the different directions. If we were to, to, to take that picture of that very perfect piece of fruit that I don't know how Grace even found that on Google, like it's beautiful. If we were to take that picture maybe in a different season, the fruit wouldn't be there and the branches would be about this long, right? Because in between the seasons, in the pruning process, um, the vine dresser or the gardener, he gets on those branches and he cuts them quick. Like he cuts them low. He gets the branch about as, as, as close as it can get to the vine. No surprise that Jesus knows exactly what he's talking about. He knows exactly how to give his life. And God is intent on pruning us, on cutting us back because he wants more fruit. Because you know what happens when you don't cut those branches back. One, they get overgrown, but like anything else in life, like you, like me, right, they just get fat and lazy, right? If you keep the branches there in the off season and you don't cut them back, you don't prune the branches, guess what they're going to do? They're going to take all the sap, they're going to take all the life out of the vine, and they're not actually going to be fruitful the next season. They're not actually going to bear any fruit. They may, it may look like an impressive Vineyard, right? Because you have branches going everywhere and maybe, you know, someone could swing on. That'd be great, right? But if you're a gardener, you don't want to swing on your branches, right? You want fruit on your branches. And that's exactly what God does. He cuts us back. And sometimes whenever we think of the word pruning, I don't know about you, but I think of maybe sin in our lives that God wants to cut out. And no doubt he does want to cut a sin out of your life even today. But even more than that, it's actually just the life circumstances. Right? It's self-dependence that he's cutting out. Not necessarily good things. It's not necessarily bad things. It's anything that you and I are relying on to get us through the day. Anything that you and I are relying on to even bear fruit or to be productive. It might be our own godliness. It may be our own spiritual maturity that God has to cut back and cut the branch further and further back because we got too big for our branch, right? We, got, we were excited. We bore fruit. Maybe we had a, an exciting season. Maybe we were in a certain program or our marriage was doing great or we were having some good success with our kids or maybe we were doing awesome in school and we were like, yeah. And no doubt in the pruning season, God cuts us back because you and I get the idea that somehow the fruit came from us. And we reverse the roles. And he says, no, 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 no. I am the true vine. You're the branch. And he says, and God's the gardener. Um, Grace's uncle, we call him Amogirius. Um, but whenever he was talking about this pruning process, because I had to ask somebody who's actually been around a vine more than just on Google, right? Uh, so I asked Grace's dad, I asked her uncle, they grew up in, in Jordan, and um, I was expecting them, they had such a wealth of knowledge. I was like, did you guys just like, did you operate a vineyard? They're like, no, you just, there's a vine out the side. <laughs> like everybody knows this, you know, I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, everybody knows this, right? But he was giving me a couple lessons or just pointers on, on this process. And something that, that I paid special attention to whenever he was talking about the pruning process, cutting that branch back, he said, let your enemies cut or prune your vine. What are you talking about? He said, let your enemies prune your vine. He says, because maybe whenever we, we cut or prune our own, we're tempted to leave a little bit extra of the branch. We're like, well, we don't want to like get rid of it entirely. We don't want to cut it too low. We may not you know, be able to recover it. But you, you almost can't cut it too much. You want to get it as far to the vine as you can. And, and some of you guys um, are in a season right now where God is showing you that you're not enough. And maybe you haven't put it into words yet. Maybe you haven't come to grips with it yet. Or maybe you just didn't know that's what was happening. But God is cutting you back. Not because he doesn't love you, because he actually does love you. And he wants to bear fruit in your life. And I don't know where that's at, but I'm excited because that's what God is after. And we're going we're gonna to dive into the rest of this chapter. You're going to see God is after fruit in his people. So maybe I'll, I'll ask a why. So, like, so why would God do that? Or why these roles? Why this passage? Well, let's keep reading. Verse 3, he says, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. He's just saying that his disciples have believed his word and they're, they're cleansed by it. Um, he mentioned that in John chapter 13 when Peter said, 
you don't want to wash my feet? And he said, no, you want me to wash your feet. So he says, you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Verse four says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches, whoever abides in me and I in him. He it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. That's not written on the back of your cough drop as a pep talk. You don't don't open it up and it says you can do nothing. Because don't you know everything has a little, little pep talk nowadays? The Lipton tea bags, they're so encouraging. Lean cuisine, it doesn't matter what you're, what you're enjoying, everything has a little bit of a, a pep talk. Right? You open up a Dove chocolate, say, you got this, right? This isn't going to go on a cough drop. You can do nothing. Right? But that's what Jesus is saying. You can do nothing. Right? If you haven't come to grips with that, I don't know if it's going to take a cough drop or John 15 or what, but you can't do anything. And what Jesus is doing, he's not only laying out the roles but he's actually laying out a reality. And I'm going to probably struggle to, to put this into words because I'm still trying to understand this myself. But whenever Jesus says you can do nothing, he's actually saying that whenever you became a Christian, whenever you were born again, whenever the old became new, something changed. I hope something changed, right? But something's fundamentally different about you. And what I believe Jesus is saying here, he's actually saying, you can do nothing without me. Not just the spiritual stuff. Like Jesus isn't saying, oh, you can't go to church without me and you can't pray and you can't read your Bible without me. Jesus is saying, now that God has done his work of redemption, now that God has brought a dead branch that was on the ground and put it into the vine, you literally can do nothing without me. I'm talking about walking the dog. I'm talking about wiping the, the baby. I'm talking about going to work, being nice to the people you like, treating your spouse with respect, everything. Jesus is saying, you can do nothing without me. And that's why I even say it's, it's a mystery. And 2 Corinthians would say that the old has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And what I'm trying to say is this doesn't make sense on the surface because you're like, well, before I met Christ, I could walk the dog just fine. Right Before I met Christ, I can eat a bowl of cereal. Before I met Christ, I can go to work. I, right? I, I have a physical life. What I'm trying to tell you, what I believe Jesus is saying in John 15, something has fundamentally changed about you. There is a new reality. And some of us, myself included, oftentimes, I'm trying to live my spiritual life in the power of Christ. Amen? But my emotional, physical Family life, all of it, I can do nothing. And I don't know when you need to insert that phrase into your day. Maybe not like right thing, you know, when you wake up, that might be a little discouraging. But whatever it is on a coffee mug or a bookmark or a reminder on your phone that says, I can do nothing. I've got nothing. I don't have any sap. I have no source of life. There is no power in me to do what God wants me to do. Not just the spiritual stuff, not just the things we call sacred. I'm talking secular, sacred. I'm talking all of it. 24-7, we need Jesus. And we're going to cry out at the end of the service, Lord, I need you. All right? I need you all the time. And that's the reality that Jesus is introducing them. You can't choose what day you want to be a branch or not. Have y'all ever seen a branch on the ground? Y'all ever seen fruit on the branch on the ground? Not unless you just tore it off, right? It, there's no fruit on it. Like it doesn't bear fruit. Like I said earlier, it's, it's a marshmallow stick at best, but it's just a branch on the ground. It has no life. And I don't know about y'all, but I need life. Right? And Jesus is the true vine. Jesus gives life. And so he creates a new reality. And some of you guys are like, what are you talking about, vine, branch? I just want to stop and invite you in. If you've never experienced the forgiveness, the cleansing, you've never experienced Jesus and his life-giving power, come on. It's amazing, right? The days are tough. You're still a branch at the end of the day, right? It's nothing glorious, but you have a purpose, right? You have a source. You have a hope. 
And God does an amazing thing in your life whenever he, he picks you up off the ground and plugs you into the vine and says, now bear fruit for my glory. So let's get into the thick of it after we've clarified some of the roles in this new reality. Um, remain. Um, he says that several times. Um, whatever translation you may be in, abide in me, remain in me. Look in verse 4. Abide in me and I in you. And then again in verse 7, he says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this the Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. And then he says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. I chose the word remain. Because it started with an R? I'm just kidding. Um, I, I chose remain because I do think that that, that captures um, the essence of this word. Abide is, is great. He just talked about last, last week and in the last chapter about Jesus making his home in us. I could have used the word rest, but it doesn't make sense to me. I, I rest in Christ. Christ rests in me. I think that's true. But the word remain, I think, is really what Jesus is after. And isn't that word just frustratingly passive? You want to know, what am I supposed to do, Jeremy? Like, just tell me, all right? All of our inner legalists would be like, can you just give me a list? That would be fantastic. 15 things I can do this week to love Jesus and love others, and then I can come back and even get like another 15 and get some stickers and put it on a chart. Like, I would love that, right? But that's not the, that's not the gospel, right? That's not the Christian life. It's not just the list of here, do it, and then you're good. It's, it's a relationship with Jesus. And Jesus says, here it is, ready? Remain. Remain. Just remain. And a modern illustration of this is like telling a blender or a vacuum cleaner, just stay plugged in. Right? Electricity is going through the wall. I'd have to look that up on Google as well, but I know the illustration will break down at some point, right? But electricity is coming through the wall, right? Jesus is the, the outlet. He's the life source. He is that power, right? He's saying, we plug into that. We're just a cord, a vacuum plugged into that. And the command for vine and branches or vacuum and electricity, right? It's like, just stay plugged in. I just sit there, just remain. And, and like I said, it's so frustratingly simple. But it's what my heart, it's what your heart needs to hear every single day. Remain in me. And Jesus does say two things. So he starts with himself. He says, remain in me, in my person." But he also says, my words remain in you and you remain in my love. So I want to talk about those two things a little bit more. His word and his love. Um, look again in verse 7. It says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Um, it's an amazing promise. And we heard a, a similar um, verse last week that basically said, ask whatever you want in my name and I will do it. So there's, there's two different sides to this. I'll call them ditches on either side of this. You could read a verse like that and say, you know, Jesus said that, but Jesus didn't really mean it. Like that sounds too good to be true. And if I start if I start down that road of Jesus wants to give me whatever I pray, then I'm going to be in a, a difficult place. So there might, be, there might be a ditch on one side that just doesn't believe it, maybe a bunch of caveats and a bunch of maybe excuses. I've been in that, that ditch many a time. Have you ever capped off your prayer with, and Lord, if you will, do it, amen, or if it's your will? And it wasn't me really surrendering like what I wanted. When Jesus was in the garden, he said, I don't really want to go through with this, but nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Right? That was, that was the heart of, of his prayer. But sometimes we pray for something big, maybe a, a sickness or a life season or a relationship that's strained, that's hurting. We ask for it to be resolved and then we say, in Jesus' name, and then we say, and, and, and God, if it's your will. And what do, we, what do we really mean by that? Sometimes, sadly, we mean, and if you can't, I guess I'm okay with the other answer. At least I'm, you all look at me like I'm the only one that prays like that. So pray for me because I'm the only one that prays like that. And when you pray, don't say, and Lord, if you can't. Like, but sometimes we pray and we say, yeah, God, I just asked for this. Trust me, I've been there. I've asked some impossible things of God. And some of them still sting 
like they just hurt me yesterday. But I say, God, please. And sometimes they're out of a heart of faith, but sometimes it's like, and Lord, if it be your will. I'm saying, and if you can't, I don't want to embarrass you, Lord. And if you don't want to do it for your namesake, like that's okay. So that's one side of the the, the road. That's one ditch. The other ditch might be like, well, yeah, I believe this. Jesus said it in John 14. He said it again in John 15. I I told you we were going to talk about it again. I pray it in Jesus' name. It's going to happen. Right? That might be one one side of the ditch that says you can write Jesus' name on a name tag. Hello, my name is Jesus. You could tear it off and you could put it on a a new car. You could put it on a cancer-free life. You could put it on someone's life. You could put it on any one of your prayer requests. And if you just, if you shake the bottle just hard enough, or if you, if you can muster the genie, or if you can just say Jesus' name enough, or have enough feelings of faith, then he's going to do it. Right? And, and some of you guys, you resonated with one side of the ditch, and some of you resonated with the other. So what does Jesus say? Where's the road? Right? Where's the good stuff? What is Jesus saying when he says... If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My mind immediately goes to the cooler on family vacation. Like, how could that possibly be the answer to this question? The cooler on the family vacation was where it was at. You would arrange your seats. I had two older brothers. So I got squished in the back a lot. But you would arrange your seats so you could be by the cooler on the family trip. right? Because y'all know what was in that cooler. Everything we wanted. Because it was family vacation, right? That was that time of year. We're going on a trip. We're going to the beach. We're going to Dollywood. It's about as far as we made it from home. That's all right. But we're going on the trip, and, and in the cooler was mom and all her generosity, and she packed all the favorites there were like fruit roll-ups. There were the gushers that the other kids had at lunches. There were everything you wanted. We were chunky kids, so we had like sliced ham from the deli and like pepper jack cheese. I don't know what kind of eight-year-old is nibbling on that. Like we were like, but it was whatever you want. Y'all, I hope y'all had a family. If you didn't have a cooler growing up like that on a family trip, I apologize. <laughs> right, but the, the cooler, there was anything that you wanted you could have that was in that cooler. So you'd just be halfway through. You're already just down in a root beer and you're like, go ahead and pass back the sun chips. Go ahead and throw me another donut. Go ahead and, you know, like it was whatever you want is vacation. It lasted 30 minutes because I'm one of three boys, but it was great. And you're like, I still don't understand, Jeremy. How are you answering the question between the two ditches? And what I want to say to you, and this has helped me, I hope it helps you as well. Jesus says, if my words remain in you, ask it. Right? If it's in the cooler, ask it. Now, some of you might be disappointed with that answer. I would, I would counter with you don't know the character and the promises of God. Right? The words contained in scripture are a family vacation cooler. Some of the Psalms, you get into Deuteronomy, you hear Daniel's prayers, you hear Paul praying for the churches in Ephesians and Philippians. Those are not pithy prayers. Those are not just Hallmark cards. Those are powerful. Whenever you get to the character of God, that he is a refuge and salvation and a strong help in a time of trouble, when you hear that and that's in your cooler and he says, if my words remain in you, if my word's in your heart, if you're, if you're pulling that out of the cooler, I'll do it. Right? That's an amazing promise. And that's how I want to encourage us to pray, church. Even when we pray tonight, right? we're not just pulling prayer requests out. Hey, I thought of that. That was nice. Like you can. You can pray for the little things. You can pray for the birthday parties that, that you don't want to get rained out. Right? But what should we be busy about? We should be praying the words of God back to him. I can't think of any good reason. I really can't. I can't think of any good reason that God doesn't want to answer his own promises. He made them. He knows us. And he wants us to believe them. 
He wants us to know that he's with us. He wants us to know that he is a savior. He wants us to know that, tri- that Christ leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. Right? He wants us to believe all of those great and precious promises, as Peter put it. And he wants us to pull them out of the cooler and say, now, they're not going to come out of the, the family cooler as quick as, as Stephen and Joey could pass it to me, right? But through faith, through persistence, through perseverance, and beholding the face of God, we get to pull so many promises out of the cooler, so many characteristics of who God is. And when his word remains in us, we truly can, church, ask whatever we want in Jesus' name. And he's pleased to do it. He said, how could you say that, Jeremy? I've been struggling for so many years with X, Y, or Z. The only reason I say that is because Jesus said it first. If he didn't say it first, I promise you I would not touch it. Right? Because that's not a promise that I want to be guilty of. I don't want to say, yeah, pray according to God's promises with faith and he'll give it. And I don't know if he's going to take that disease away. I don't know if he's going to take that situation away. But I do know that he hears when his people pray. And I do know that he loves faith. Hebrews actually says that without faith, it's impossible to please him. That's in a salvation sense, but that's also in a prayer sense. And, and y'all will know as well as I do that whenever you start to pray with faith, when you start to try to pull some of those things out of the cooler and get to the promises of God, you realize it's hard. And you realize, did you really want what was in the cooler or did you want God? Right? Did you really want just that thing to be out of your life or was God actually leading you through it? And that's, that's the overall narrative of scripture. He loves to answer our prayers. But think Psalm 23. He loves to just lead us beside the still waters. And you're like, okay, I can thumbs up to still waters. And then right through the valley of the shadow of death. That's like every scary movie's like plot line. The valley of the shadow of death. Does he rip us out of it? Does he parachute the sheep? Does he just jet rocket us out of the valley of shadow of death? No, he leads us through And then we realize that it was his rod, his staff. It was the shepherd himself that was leading us all the days of our life. And you realize, I didn't want that from the cooler. I didn't want necessarily that thing in particular to be gone or present in my life, even though I'm not downplaying anyone's circumstances. Don't hear me wrong. I just know that God is better. I know that the vine is sweeter. And I know that he loves to answer So let's be a praying church because listen to this next part. It says that through these prayers, my father is glorified and you prove to be my disciples because you bear much fruit. The reason it might be absent in your life is so that you can pray for it. Ask God for it, and he can grant it, and he can receive the glory through that prayer. Maybe. I don't know. I don't have all the answers. But he says, through our prayers, asking in Jesus' name, when God's word remains in us, and we pray those words back to him, he's so happy to give it to us. He's glorified. It's it's a father and a son relationship. Renner just learned how to say, up. It comes out as, uppa. That's okay. It's cute as anything. Right? Whenever he says up, guess what? He goes up. The only thing that's discouraging, he's also learned down. So he just keeps saying up, down, up, you know, up, down, up. And I'm like, okay, son, <laughs> I can only honor so many requests because of my back. Right? But think of a father son relationship. That's what he's saying here. He's saying, my father is glorified to answer your prayers, he wants to give you those things. I'm thinking of specifically the prayer from Ephesians. As some of you would know, that it says the Father grants the Spirit to strengthen our inner man, our hearts, so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. And it says that whenever Christ dwells in our hearts through faith, we're able to understand the length and the breadth and the height and the, just the enormous depths of, of Christ's love. And when we comprehend that love of Christ, we're filled with all the fullness of God. I promise you that that one prayer request from Ephesians is better than anything that you and I could pray in our own words. 
Now, those are the type of things that God loves to give us and wants to honor and wants to glorify himself through. And don't forget that the goal is much fruit. Okay, the second thing that we're supposed to remain in, remain in God's word, but also we're supposed to remain in his love. Verse 9 says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. And then he tells us how, which is so, so good of him. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I've been reading through John a lot in this last few months, as many of you guys have, and we've been in this series, right? Jesus has said a variation of this phrase many, many, many times. If you haven't written it down, if you haven't meditated on it yet, if you haven't figured out if your life mirrors this or not, Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And like I said, the Christian life isn't just me getting up here and giving you a thousand things that you got to do this week, right? You know what in your life, perhaps that you're not obeying God in, that you're not being obedient in. But Jesus says, abide in my love. It sounds so nice. That actually, that phrase could even fit into the 21st century, right? You can't get canceled for saying, abide in my love. It sounds so warm and inviting. And then Jesus says, and how do you abide in my love? Take a guess. You obey my commandments. And we all know this by nature, through a parent relationship or an authority, school, whatever it may be. When you love someone, you obey them. So let me ask you this. Do you love the vine? Do you love Jesus? And when I say, do you love Jesus? You don't say, yeah, I sang a lot this morning. When I say, do you love Jesus? You don't say, yeah, I feel it. Most, most Sundays into Monday, Wednesday even. When I say, do you love Jesus? Yeah, I read my Bible every day this week. When I say, do you love Jesus? You don't say, yeah, I've got a bunch of Christian friends and we love community group, especially the dinner night. Right? No. When I say, do you love Jesus? You think to yourself, I think to myself, am I keeping his commands? If you don't know where to start, go look at the Ten Commandments. But as we're going to see, Jesus gives us one. And so that's the only one we're going to focus on today. And this one is, is very frustrating. Let's keep reading. He says, abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will do so as I've done with my father. So verse 11, he says, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. As much as remain in me was frustratingly simple, this command is frustratingly categorical, right? It's, he says, love one another as I have loved you. Now, he doesn't just say love one another with the love that you've got. Or love one another by your own standards, with your own ruler and metric. And whatever you think love is, show that to other people. If your love language is quality time, just sit there and sit. I know he's not saying that. He's saying, he says, love one another with the love that I have loved you with. Loved, we love. This is the pattern of the Christian life. What kind of love has Jesus shown you? Tender, humble, sacrificial, spiritual, emotional, physical, kind, generous, steadfast. A couple words. I don't know what words you have to add to the list, right? But what kind of love has Jesus shown you? We are to show that love to one another. Spouse of 30 years, coworker that you just will never be best friends with. He didn't say be best friends with everybody. He said love everybody. I saw that smile. Someone's thinking of their coworker right now. And that's good, right? Because we're supposed to love one another with the same love in which Jesus loved us. And I'm not going to spend as much time on that this morning as I'd like to. But we saw that when Jesus bent down and washed dirty feet. It's amazing. He bent down, he grabbed a towel, knowing that Judas was going to betray him, and he washed the crud off his feet. It's remarkable. And Jesus said, he said, if I'm washing their feet, so should you. Right? The, the servant is not greater than the master. He says, so, so go, go wash feet. 
Ephesians says, be tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Why? Because God in Christ has forgiven you. So whatever love, church, you have experienced from God's own heart, I implore you, I will say command, I take this verse from scripture and I command and urge you to love others with that love because that's where the fruit's at. That's why we're supposed to remain in his word and also remain in his love is because he wants us to love one another. He wants us to give our lives. And you say, Jeremy, I've been giving my life for so long. I've been choosing others. I've been so sacrificial. I haven't gotten anything in return. That sounds like Jesus. So there's a lot of fruit in your life. I wouldn't be surprised if he's pruning you right now because he wants even more. He's so after the fruit. He's so after that love, those prayers, that dependence. He loves it. And you say, that's cruel. Why does he want me so weak? Why does he want me so needy? Why does he want me to sacrifice? Loved, we love. This is the pattern of the Christian life. That's what Jesus has for us. And you say, I don't like my new reality. The amazing part is, is that it's all about a relationship. It's all about a relationship. So let me go ahead and wrap up with a couple things and the close of this chapter. First, I have to read for you probably the verse that that changed my life. Verse 11 of John 15. It says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Does anybody else's heart just well up when they hear that? So much fear, so much doubt, so much anxiety floods away. Just like a phrase, it is done, it is finished. Like I hear a phrase like that, this, and I'm like, what? I thought God was angry with me. I thought he didn't like me. I thought I wasn't doing enough. I thought, fill in the blank. And when I read a verse like this, it exploded in my heart that God wants his joy to be in me. And he wants me to be full of joy. And I know we don't like using the word joy and happiness interchangeably. I understand I'm going against years of Sunday school education. Because I know it's happiness and then, and then joy is spiritual happiness. Right, but just because I don't understand totally what the, the, the difference between those two words is, let me, let me say it this way. God wants his happiness to be in you and he wants your happiness to be full. That's amazing. Like, he doesn't just want a spiritual happiness. He wants you to be spiritually, emotionally, and physically happy. And his happiness is linked to us in a new covenant that Jesus has brought and bought and is he's owner and operator of it right now. And he says, God's joy wants to be in you. And you say, well, I'm not, I don't deserve that. Why would, he, why would he do that? He goes on to say, he says, I've chosen you. I picked you. This is how God has ordained it. This is the reality that he's made it, that his joy is in us. Now, some may hear that phrase, God wants to be happy in you, and that might just just blow you away. But I wouldn't say it if it wasn't there. God wants to be happy in you. Now, he's he's not just happy in like your personality quirks and the way that you cut people off in traffic, right? This isn't just a blank check to do whatever you want because God's always happy in me, so I'm good. No, he says, these things have I spoken. I've said these words. I gave this instruction. I've taught you about the true vine and the branches and the fruit and the gardener because I want you to know that whenever you abide in Christ and you abide in Christ's word and you abide in Christ's love, God is pleased. So take heart, church. You can bring joy and delight into the heart of God this morning. That's potential. Not only that, that's an amazing promise and reality. He said, I've spoken these words so that your joy may be full. If I had to take um, hands on who all could say, my joy is completely full. I don't know how many I would get. 
Children are pretty happy people. So maybe more than I think. But when I say, is your joy full, right? Jesus said, I've spoken these words. I've set up this reality. I want you to pray in Jesus' name. I want you to abide in my word. I want you to love other people sacrificially because I know that that is the fullness of your joy. I know that that is going to be the climax of your living. And he wants to do that today. And maybe you've lost sight of that. Maybe daily devotions don't sound anything like that. But I just want to remind you that God wants his joy to be in us and he wants our joy to be full. It's about an intimate relationship. He also goes on to say, let me go ahead and skip to verse 15. He's clarifying something he said a couple verses ago, a couple chapters ago. He says, no longer do I call you servants. The servant doesn't know what his master's doing. I've called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. This is amazing because like I said earlier, when he washed their feet, he said, I'm the master, you're the servant, so go. But Jesus breaks an amazing power dynamic culturally between rabbi and follower, master, servant. Right? He says, I don't call you servants anymore. Yeah, you're going to be doing servant work, but that's not who you are. You're a friend. If you're in Christ, you're in an intimate relationship with God. You may not feel as intimately close to him as he wants you to feel to him. You may not be experiencing the joy that is yours in Christ and that relationship. But he says, I don't call you servants. I don't just give you tasks to do. I don't just give you a weekly mission maybe for my word and you got to just carry it out and you don't even know why you're doing it. You're just blindly following orders. He says, no, you're friends. Let's keep reading. He says, I call you friends because I've made known at the end of verse 15, he says, for all that I have heard from my father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask in the father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you love one another. Did y'all know that this is God's idea? Do you know whenever something's God's idea it doesn't fail. It will never be ultimately unfruitful. Maybe the vine or the tree is looking sparse. You're like, Jeremy, we had a, we had a series on lament almost a year ago now when we started and, and I'm still in this season of just feeling dry and I'm feeling lonely and I'm feeling hurt. Can I encourage you? He says, God has chosen you. God picked you. You didn't pick me. Y'all never seen a branch jump off the ground onto a tree. And if you have, I'll be standing right up here afterwards. I want to hear all about it. He says, you didn't choose me. This wasn't your idea. This isn't about you. You can do nothing. There's a new reality here. There's something bigger at stake. It's the grand rescue plan and redemption of God. And it's his idea. And when something is God's idea, I get excited about it. When it's God's idea, I know that there will be nothing, nothing that God stops to cut my life back, to make me close, to draw me in, and to bear fruit. And that's exciting. That's the potential of Calvary Baptist Church. That's the potential of the kingdom at large. We're a vineyard ready to bear fruit because we have a vine who's full of life and he has so many promises that we can pray. And he even modeled for us what it looks like to love others so that we can love others too, so that you and I can have fruit. Let me read that again. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. To what end? I appointed you that you should go, bear fruit, and that fruit should remain. God is intent on bearing fruit in our lives. I always try to, to distill the passage into one statement if I can so that you could take a picture or jot it down. Maybe I'm just flattering myself by thinking you'll do that. That's okay. But something that you can take home, and it's this. It's God's joy is in those who abide in Christ. Praying with faith, obeying in love, and bearing fruit that remains. Can I say that again? God's joy is in those 
who abide in Christ, praying with faith, obeying in love, and bearing fruit that remains. And I don't want to take advantage of your patience in listening, but I just want to say one more thing. I want to politely ask of my own sermon in this text, so what? What's keeping me from just going to Rosie's or Epic Buffet or whatever's next, right? So what? Why, Why is this important? If you're in this room and you're hearing my voice and you heard the the word of God this morning, God desires an intimate relationship with you. He says, I have the cleansing that you need. So if you're visiting with a friend or you've been your whole life and you don't know if you're plugged into the vine, you don't know if you've had your sins forgiven, come find them forgiven today. I can't do it, but I can introduce you to someone who can. And if you're in this room and you're a believer who's struggling and you're feeling the aches and the cramps and just the the short stick of being a branch, I want you to know that God's doing something. I want to encourage you that his joy is in those who abide, those who pray with faith, those who obey in love. And he's, he's producing fruit that remains. Can I pray with you guys? God, thank you that we didn't think this up. This isn't our idea or our mission. God, but you and your gracious kindness have chosen us to believe. And thank you that that call is on everyone this morning. That you say, come to me, everyone who's weary and heavy laden. So I pray that each of these individuals in this room would see Christ for who he is, the true vine. And I pray that Jesus, you as our true vine, that you would give us life and that you would produce in us fruit. And I pray that that fruit would be what remains. And God, we're so excited to prove our discipleship through that end. And we're so excited that this is all for your glory. But one thing is clear to us is that we need you. That apart from you, we can do nothing. So Jesus, come and fill our hearts. It's in your name.